Hey, Deserving Listeners, today's episode is about the experience of loneliness. I have been asked questions about loneliness throughout my career and throughout my podcasting life. And at first I thought, you know, there's got to be some easy tips to help cure loneliness in people. And then as I worked with people clinically and personally, I found that loneliness is much more stubborn and much more mysterious and much more confusing than I originally thought. And as a part of that investigation of the mystery of loneliness, I asked if Christy Forrester would kindly come on the podcast and talk about her experience of loneliness. She's a therapist and she understands how to help people very well. She's a very successful private practice and she also has a lot of experience with loneliness. So let's get to that interview. So, Christy, do you want to introduce yourself to the podcast listeners? I'm Christy Forrester, and I'm a uh, marriage and family therapist in Seattle, and I'm a friend of Kirk's and studied under Kirk. Yeah, and I've been making these episodes about loneliness, and you and I often talk about loneliness, and I thought it'd be great to have you on the show to talk about it. So, what would you like to share with the listeners? I really have only begun to know loneliness in the last couple of years in a deeper way. When I was younger, there was always people around. Just being around people doesn't necessarily make you not lonely, obviously. My experience with loneliness in the last couple of years, and of course, through the pandemic, has um, intensified. And it's not, a, not an easy place to be. And there's a lot of sadness sometimes, you know, there's a lot of sadness around it. But then there's also a lot of thinking about how can I feel this feeling and lean into it. Um, I remember talking with you, gosh, a couple years ago, Kirk, and, and I just had this moment sitting in my living room and everything was so quiet. And I announced to myself, I had to say it out loud to the room, oh, this is loneliness. And it kind of really hit me at that moment. Why did it hit you? What did it feel like? It felt like exile, I guess. You know, it felt like I can't get to the people I want to get to. I can't connect in the ways I want to connect. I can't give the love I want to give. I can't receive the love I want to receive. You know, that's one of the things I've been thinking a lot about in regards to loneliness is, you know, defining what loneliness is, but also defining what is connection. And But in that moment, it really felt like quiet, maybe uncomfortable, scary, because it felt like, oh, gosh, this might stretch on out into the future for a long time. Mm. Boring. Mm. <laughs> a little bit. Like nothing that I could do, none of my coping skills that I had come up with to kind of distract or entertain myself were going to be a band-aid enough for the depth of the loneliness that I was feeling. Interesting. Did you feel like you were being rejected? Sometimes. Usually, no. Like, that's the thing that I think that's been really interesting about the feelings of loneliness I have is that it's not so much that I'm rejected as much as in the shuffle of life, somehow I landed on an island by myself. <laughs> like, I think there's, I know there are people in my life that you know, love me and that I love back and I want to connect to. But I think I just felt kind of up against a system that was in play. Just the cards I was dealt at that in these last couple of years. Um, 
What were those? What were those cards? What were what were those circumstances? I think there's, you know, things that were life experiences that led to it, as well as maybe just a state of being a human. So the life experiences that led to it, for me, are often the abuse and trauma that I've experienced in my life and kind of taught me to avoid people a little bit. So I lean into that avoidance as a place of safety. Tell me more about that, Christy, because in my experience with you, you don't do that. Yeah, I, I do. And I don't, I do. And I don't like a lot of times I'm, I'm extroverted. I want to be out there. I'm curious about everything. Yeah. I mean, everything, art, new music, new food, another person, a new place. I, I just want to know and experience at all. And you show up to invitations and you care about other people's events. Uh, you know, just as an example, I'll have my band will sh- play some random dive bar in the middle of the night on a Friday and, and you, you show up, you're, you're there, you're one of the, you know, you really find out who your true friends are in those kinds of moments <laughs> when, you know, you drag your friends out to listen to you play stupid music and, and it's super loud and, and, you know, and then afterwards they're like, oh yeah, it was great, you know? And mm-hmm. so you show up and I'm, I'm guessing you show up to a lot of people's things. You know, I, so I, I'm curious how trauma uh, keeps you from being the way that I see you. Right. I was reading, no, rather listening to Brene Brown's podcast, actually, and she had someone on Vivek Murthy, and he talked about different types of loneliness. And he said that he thinks there are three. He thinks there's a loneliness for intimate or emotional connection, like longing for a close confidant. That's probably the loneliness I experience the most. And then there's a loneliness for relational or social loneliness, which I still could use more of, but, you know, I'm down, like you're saying, (laughs) when something comes up, I want to go to it and I want to relate and be social. And then he also says there's a collective loneliness, which is a hunger for network or community, like people who share your own interests and purposes, you know, I have that network with therapy. Um, I don't, some people look to religion or just larger groups of family. But I feel like I think there's also loneliness for connection to yourself, loneliness for the past, loneliness for people to see you and to help you feel continuity. That's one of the types of loneliness I feel is like a lack of continuity. Things get kind of broken up, you know, like sure, I'm at somebody's event here for two hours or three hours that night, or I'm at another place with another friend here and there. Um, But there's no like thread through that. Kind It it makes me feel a little bit. um, Like you're the extra friend for everybody. Yeah, and the extra friend, not exactly primary and very fragmented. Like no one really knows. Like I don't expect even someone I'm super close with to like really know who I am. Like I've kind of come to that place where I'm having a hard time knowing who I am fully. I'm learning about another person. I'm not going to know everything about who they are. I don't have that longing to be like known at that level, but I don't like feeling kind of fragmented to where I'm like, you saw me at brunch 
once this month and then another person saw me, you know, for two hours and then another person talked to me on the phone for an hour and another person I went on a hike with. And that's all lovely, but like there's something for me that's really stressful around where's the continuity. And maybe I have some like daydreams about friend groups from like sitcoms and um yeah. TV shows like I literally think the kind show of a, friends has literally every day they're all six of them involved in each other's lives know what's happening a lot of con- <laughs> a lot of continuity there I've always wanted that kind of continuity and that kind of group feel I think there's also loneliness for a fantasy life which is kind of part of that sometimes and then my last idea on loneliness I had was loneliness that we feel in shame or when we're hiding ourselves and some of that is on us and I think that for me sometimes there's that facet of loneliness too where I'm like oh you know I'm not really ready to date I could I'll be ready to date when I learn Spanish better or when I I don't know achieve some next goal or something there's this fear of like letting people in that I I know is part of the trauma and the avoidance um so I can show up and maybe that's the thing is the fragmented way that I show up in people's lives as fun as it is and as much as I love it kind of keeps me at a surface level with most folks which might be partly why now that I'm reflecting on it might be partly why uh, I go deep pretty quickly with people. I'm pretty open is because that's my shot. (laughs) Have you ever, have you ever had non loneliness? Yeah. You know, I have Um, lately I've been kind of trying to remember that and remember her. Um, And then as part of like coping with loneliness during the pandemic, I've been looking at photographs of my life and kind of seeking continuity there, but also remembering the times in life where this wasn't even like a thought in my mind. It wasn't like, geez, this is pretty quiet. And um, I really want to connect with people, right? So what was it like What when you didn't, when you, it's funny, it's, I'm trying to figure out what's the opposite of loneliness, but you know, it's togetherness, but that doesn't really seem to fit uh, true companionship, Mm-mm. whether it's a friend mm-hmm. or, a, or a partner. So I, I guess like companionship, because as you said, there are a number of different kinds of loneliness. And I think the two main kinds that I think a lot of people might be able to resonate with are romantic, close companionship loneliness. Mm-hmm. And then you have just social loneliness, right? Because you could mm-hmm. have a spouse that you see every day, but you don't have any friends. Or you could have a lot of friends that you're close with, you go on hikes with, and you have good conversations, maybe, especially once you get older. It's like, you know, at best, you're talking about like once a month, mm-hmm. but you don't have any close companionship. You don't have that that uh, consistency as you're talking about. When was the last time you had either of those? And what did that feel like? Uh, the consistency and companionship. Yeah, yeah. Family, when I was younger, that's the other thing is out here. I live in Seattle, 2,000 miles away from all of my family and have for the last 20 years. I think with my family, when I was younger, it felt not lonely. I was also not wise enough to know that what was going on in my life was very traumatic. I was just like, this is just life. And I found a way to goof around with my cousins and my brother and my mom and dad and um, I felt a sense of busyness and a sense of, it, it was weird. It was like, we're busy and doing things, but I wasn't like pressured with some sense of purpose. I was just being 
So this is when you were in your 20s or before that? Before that, I would say like, you know, early, early life. As I got into my teen years, I was really starting to realize, oh, my family's kind of messed up, you know, Um, things were hurtful. And that's one area where I started to feel a little bit of loneliness from family because I was thinking about this recently, like I didn't have I didn't know how to have boundaries, nor was I actually allowed to. And I think part of loneliness sometimes is also loneliness for your time with yourself or fear that you can't show up. Like if they're showing up, you can't fully show up because they want you to be a certain way. Mm. Is that making sense? Yeah. Um, yeah and I think- so there's like a loneliness that I want to for connection rather than just uh, being the, yeah, like I think sometimes when I was younger, I realized I was being approached for validation and, and people pleasing and self soothing, like, oh, you're good, you're fine. Right. Versus I was lonely for connection, but I didn't know loneliness or conceptualize it that way when I was younger. So is it possible that you've never had mutual validation? Except for my first love, I was just talking with a friend about this last night and it wasn't ongoing, but it was, you know, a year. And I think that there was, I was reflecting on that. That was like the most mutual I'm being listened to and I'm listening to the other okay. kind of thing that happened. Yeah. It, as I got older, I mean, I was waiting tables and having friends and working and going, learning to work in offices and I was always meeting people and dating people. And, uh, and then when I moved to Seattle, everybody said, oh, you know, there's the Seattle freeze. It's going to be hard for you to meet friends. And maybe because I was just kind of too friendly and from Kansas, that didn't seem to affect me. I, had a, my, I didn't believe that story about Seattle. I yeah. just kind of approached everyone like, hi, y'all, you know, like, what do you want to do? You want to go do something? Yeah. As a, as a Seattleite born and raised myself, I've never really understood. I mean, certainly there are different regional differences when you go to New York City, for example, it's different than when you go to Kansas, for example. But this notion that it's impossible to meet friends when you come here, I think it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think what a lot of people listening are interested in us exploring is two areas. One is, is what it feels like to be lonely, which I think you've touched upon, but also why? Because everyone that I know that suffers from loneliness, including yourself. And I've known about you being lonely for years now. Mm -hmm. And you and I have talked about it off and on. And I've seen you put a lot of effort into reducing your loneliness. And you're you're a therapist. You're smart. You're proactive. You're active Mm -hmm. on social media. You Mm -hmm. use your free time well. You're a nice person. There's literally nothing about you that would cause someone not to want to be your friend, you know? Thank you. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you listen well and you're interesting and all these things. And I think about the other people that I know, some of the people you and I know who suffer from loneliness, Mm -hmm. same sort of thing, charismatic, Mm -hmm. smart, um, accomplished, Mm -hmm. interesting, caring, good Mm -hmm. listeners. And I, I find myself just utterly confused as to what differentiates uh, the, the sort of loneliness you're experiencing from people who don't have chronic loneliness. A lot of people do, of course, and it's getting worse over time with various different reasons for that. But I, I, I'm wondering, as a therapist who has thought about why am I lonely, 
how do I get out of loneliness? And here are all the things I've tried and I've listened to podcasts and I've thought about it. And I I even treat, you've even treated clients who suffer Mm -hmm. from loneliness. You're an expert on how to help people with reducing their loneliness. And yet you haven't been able to find success yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to use the word success so much Mm -hmm. because that implies some sort of failure, but, but I think that it's such a stubborn problem in, Mm -hmm. in many people's lives such a frustration. And then you go to the internet and there's all these little tips like, well, do a meetup with people or (laughs) try to listen more to people. And it's just like, okay. I mean, if someone needs that Mm. tip, that, that advice, then great. And maybe that would help. But for a lot of people, it just seems like the loneliness is just so much more entrenched and mysterious. Maybe that's the word. It's mysterious. Mm -hmm. The loneliness Mm -hmm. is mysterious. And I have been over years thinking about it myself with clients and people I care about. And I suppose myself as well. Mm -hmm. And I find that loneliness is mysterious. So why is loneliness so mysterious or why are you lonely to begin with, even though there's no reason you should be lonely? Yeah, I feel like I love this question so much. What are the external factors around of the world that loneliness sits in? What are the internal factors that maybe cause recreating some schema? Like I'm thinking of loneliness as a schema and like maladaptive responses that might reinforce the loneliness. But then I'm also kind of thinking about the difference between loneliness and solitude. And also, maybe we don't always have to call loneliness bad. Like maybe it's part of a the seasons of life. Um, And maybe this has just been a long winter. (laughs) Um, But I think that external factors, I'll start there. I think external factors, obviously technology being my, I'm 47 years old. um, A lot of my friends, some of my friends are younger and wide ranges of uh, ages, but I live in a city where people really have to work hard to afford to live here. So time is limited. Um, People have families and children, and we are encouraged through capitalism also to be very individualistic and, you know, have our own spaces or take care of our own family. And I think there's a lot of external forces at play that are very, like, tangible logistical things that get in the way of having enough time to be with other people. So time is probably one of the big issues that is impacted by all these other forces. Also being 47 years old and dating, I meet a lot of people who are men who are older, um, who maybe still want children and that kind of, there's a part of being a woman and age that I think folds into loneliness sometimes too. I think that it can be tough, especially a tendency. And I talk with my clients about this a lot. We have a tendency to not really know and deeply identify our core need. We, we, we're aware of it, but we're not like really thinking it through. So say we have a core need for companionship or attention or giving love or connection or being feeling special, being a priority in someone's life. You have a core need to build a life with someone and do all the things you want to do in life. And then I think you kind of come in there with stories and expectations about how those core needs should get met. And sometimes those stories and expectations show up with a very rigid um, window 
that makes it pretty hard for anybody to to meet those expectations and needs. And I think it's, I personally think it for myself, I've done this and also talk with people about this, like how do we pull back and stay open to all the different ways that someone might actually meet our core needs for attention and affection and connection and a life together. And how, how intense are we on the, on the expectations of how that's going to look? You know, if I'm like, well, uh, let's see, I'm going on my second date with this guy on the first date. I told them that I really like pink and yellow flowers. I don't know, or that I like flowers or whatever. And if my expectation to get the core need met for realizing that I'm special to someone new is that they are going to not only buy me flowers on the second date or some date coming up, but also pink and yellow flowers, because that's my favorite combination. You know, if we get very specific about how our core needs are going to get met, we're really setting the other person and not telling anyone what they are, then we're really setting ourselves up for failure around like, how can I how can I stay open to all the different ways that my needs might get met and be curious about the other person instead of have such a strict concept of how they're going to validate my worth? Yeah. And when we come from trauma, we're just looking for signs that we're going to be rejected. And we have that schema like, well, it's going to happen eventually. Some, you know, th- this is only going to last so long. And the chance that this person's going to actually like me and want to be with me, you know, we all know that no one like likes me or the other people can't be trusted or something. And yet everyone talks about, you got to lower your expectations. Okay, fine. I'm lowering my expectations. But if you have that core schema, then it's going to be really hard to navigate. I mean, it's hard dating anyway. And if you have some of these schemas, then it's really going to influence things, right? Absolutely. I see this in people a lot too, you know, just really believing it's so, and it's really hard. It's one thing to say and another to do, uh, to really believe that you're worth the love. I think a lot of people are often quite afraid that someone's going to get close and then they're going to, you know, see inside of you and they're going to think, oh, there's no one in there. You know, I think there's uh, a lot of fear that who we are isn't going to be enough, that we're going to run out of material, like whatever it is that people get nervous about, and that somehow their their true nature of being completely um, unworthy will eventually rear its head. Yeah. I'm still curious, Christy, and you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but why are you lonely given that I don't understand why you would be lonely? Yeah. You know, I've, I've thought about this a lot. Um, some of it I think is luck. <laughs> mm-hmm. Honestly, there's a piece of luck. I think some of it is that there is a bit of a shame schema in there that sometimes I can choose the comfort of a Netflix and chill over putting myself out there. The other aspects of my loneliness definitely tie into my abuse and my rape. So when I was five years old, I was molested by my daycare center teacher. I learned that people are going to invite you to do without going into too much detail. He basically the way it started was he would invite me in. He would say, oh, it's nap time. All the other kids are going to take a nap. But because you've been so good today, you get to come. They'll sleep and we'll play. He would invite 
me into the bathroom with him and some other girls usually. I think that really did a number on my psyche in the sense of like, oh, here's someone invite. Because I was like, yeah, we get to play. You know, we don't have to uh, take a nap. How boring, right? And so it, it was this excitement about, oh, I'm getting invited to do something wonderful. And then to have it become such a terrible thing. That's something I've been working on in therapy for years is trying to figure out a way to not get triggered by someone kind of inviting me into something wonderful there's still that little part of me that's like, but what if I accidentally step into something bad? You know, what if I accidentally get too close to someone who's going to hurt me? And some of the work has been around learning to trust myself. First, learning to recognize there is no um, guarantee of safety in the world. (laughs) Number two, uh, I was five years old. I didn't know how to trust myself or have boundaries. And now I do as an adult. So I can get close to people, and if I find out that there's, you know, something that feels unsafe, I can back away. But then there comes the other piece of sexual assault, and I've, you know, had unfortunate experiences my whole life in that realm where something kind of goes sideways really quickly um, and becomes violent. You know, even just using the restroom at a party when I was like in my twenties, I was coming out of the bathroom and just going back down to the party and some guy pushed me into the bedroom that was right next to the bathroom and started to assault me. And I fought back and I got out, but it's, it's, it's scary how quick something that looks like it's going to be fun um, isn't. And I think that that's something to really reckon with as a survivor and as a woman. Um, I think that's part of why I hold back, you know, like I could get on the apps and be on them constantly. And sometimes I go through phases when I do that, where I'm trying to date. Uh, but other times I'm like, it just feels too scary, you know, or tiresome. And then sometimes I wonder, is that really the kind of thing I'm lonely for? Like, what is it exactly? Like, dating's kind of a nice answer to loneliness, right? Like, be with another person. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's always, you know, is that one of those things where I have a core need for connection and somehow either society or myself in my own mind has decided the way I'm going to get it is through dating someone who's really nice. Like realistically, unfortunately, that's probably true in our world. You have to, like most people are pretty focused on their primary partner. And if you don't have one, you might be kind of you know, on the periphery. But also sometimes I'm like, well, gosh, this is where I go into the mystery of it. Like, what is it that I really want? Why do I feel lonely? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to comment on. Obviously, I'm, we've talked about your traumatic history before, and it's a big part of your journey and your wisdom and your treatment of your clients and your advocacy. I met you uh, as a already a veteran in advocacy for victims and survivors of sexual assault of various kinds. And you've been a brave, outspoken person about your experiences leading the way for other people to step forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, you know, commend you again for leading the way and with leading the way, which is talking about loneliness. <laughs> and yeah, it, this is part of our societal piece in Western society is that we 
situate our society such that 99% of your attachment needs need to be met through your spouse. And that is mm-hmm. not the way we are designed. We are designed to be in a tribe of 50 plus people. And yeah, your spouse is a big part of that, but also would be your parents and your siblings and your cousins and your friends and your in-laws. And they would all be around you 24 seven, no joke. You didn't mm-hmm. have a private cave to sleep in with your nuclear family. You slept with all 49 of the others every day and you foraged for food and you uh, worked together and you, you saw them and heard them. And although they annoyed you sometimes, they were just around. And so uh, in today's society, we consider that to be creepy. You know, people will live at home with their parents when they're 35 years old and they'll, they're considered pathological. You know, it's a mama's boy or it's someone who isn't independent enough. And, you know, there's issues there for sure. But the fact that we have these just automatic diagnoses that given to people, you know, if, if you try to reach out to your friends and hang out with them every day, you're considered a pest. And it's like, well, but that's how we're designed. We're not designed to be alone very often, if ever, really. But we live in this society. And so it, you, you're not going to be able to change society. It is what it is. And so to eke out a little bit of our attachment needs, it's seemingly necessary to really try to invest in a spousal relationship, a companion. Mm-hmm. Now that can look a lot of different ways, but it will generally be categorized in the, in the romantic partnership uh, realm. And so dating is not the best way to meet those needs. (laughs) A long-term relationship is where people get, you know, we uh, date uh, presumably to meet that need so that we can find that person. Dating (laughs) is uh, not a great way to meet that need, obviously, because it it usually nine, 99 times out of a hundred, someone you're dating it's there's an egg timer and it's just waiting to go off. I mean, one of you is going to break up the other one within a month. You know, it's just, it's just how dating works. Compatibility Mm -hmm. is hard to find, but so I'm curious, uh, getting back to the assaults that you mentioned, I could imagine how in the moment that could affect things such that you would, it would complicate the process of you developing attachments with other people. Mm-hmm. And this would be the re- uh, in dating versus in the relationship. A lot of times in the relationship, once I find someone that I feel like is really good and we're and they really like me and we're moving forward. Other than my first love, a lot of people that I've met, you know, I get so I'm just like, oh my god, I found that needle in the haystack. This person is, you know, decent and not going to threaten me. So my preoccupied attachment kind of comes up a little more because of that. And so I've learned to talk through that and explain that and cope with that and find my own ways to soothe myself. But in the moment, you know, I've been, if I'm being approached by somebody like on the street or in a bar, it depends on if people are around me, do I feel comfortable? Sometimes I'm, I'm just leery from the get-go. Like, what do you want? What are you after? You know, but let's say I'm dating someone for six months when things become um, really close and my preoccupied attachments up, I find myself kind of people pleasing them a lot. Mm -hmm. And I become um, 
lonely because I've lost myself. So I experience that kind of loneliness in the relationship. Or I will, if we're physical, um, dissociate, not really be there for the whole process enough to connect, which is something that I've had to work on. That's a tough spot, how trauma affects that. Sometimes it also affects things where I'm not really having a problem and I'm actually fine with having sex and feeling good and feeling comfortable. But the other person is very worried that I'm not. So they'll be too cautious with me or a little bit distant. And that's caused some confusion in the past too. Mm-hmm. But with dating, like even just going on dates, I've had to do a lot of therapy around the feeling that comes up in my body because I've actually gotten so panicked that I just leave. Um, I've run away on foot before I've locked myself in the bathroom because I thought they'd drugged me. And so I wanted to like wait and see if um, anything was going to happen. I mean, you giggle, but it's uh, a viable thing and it did happen to you. And yeah, I, I can't imagine what it is like as a man. I have the privilege of not being likely a victim of that. Men can be a victim of that, but the likelihood is a lot lower. I just can't imagine having been through what you've been, what you've been through. You're very well aware of, you know, roofies and date rape jugs and this sort of thing. And they're pretty easy to get your hands on. It's happened to you before. And you're on a first date and normal to have a couple drinks you go to the bathroom, you come back and you're, and you're drinking a little bit more and you start to get a little bit of a feeling, like a little bit of a spacey feeling. Under mm-hmm. normal circumstances, you might just be like, well, sometimes I get spacey or maybe, I, maybe I've drank too much or maybe I, I, I had mm-hmm. a stomacher. But now you're thinking, wait, is this the beginning? Because cause if I don't catch it now, mm-hmm. all bets are off. Because you know, once you cross a certain threshold, your brain doesn't work anymore on those drugs. And yep. I, I need to do something now. And then all of a sudden, super panic sets in, right? And maybe it's even justified. You know, obviously, it, it obviously can be a justified reaction in that moment. But even if it, it turned out to be a false alarm, I just can't imagine having to deal with dating. Like I said, dating is hard anyway. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and to have this element thrown in there, got to complicate things. It really does. And yeah, it's funny, like, not funny. It's interesting. I'm noticing uh, maybe the coping mechanisms I use for not feeling too emotional in these moments. Like you said, oh, you giggle, but like that was intense. And even my response is to be like, oh, it's funny, but da 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 da. But it's not funny, you know, and it's, it's hard. Yeah. And worthy of a lot of crying, Christy. Yeah. I don't want to run away. And I don't want them. They don't understand either. You know, I'm often thinking how much. Sorry. Oddly enough, maybe this is just the therapist or the people pleaser or something in me. Um, I'm often thinking how confused they must be. Yeah. I'm worried about their experience. Um, But it's, the fear is so real. I used to um, use this visual uh, to calm myself down 
Well, it's just so, it's frustrating when you're like, I just want to go on a date and see if I like this person, you know, and you get there, you have to start learning things like get there early so that you see the water get brought to the table. Um, or if you get there and there's water at the table and he's there, if your water has ice in it, ask for a glass of water without ice. Or if your water doesn't have ice in it, ask for a glass of water with ice in it. Anything to get that glass dumped out because you weren't there to watch whether or not what was happening. Yeah. Kind of always keeping your eye on that. Um, and then feeling the panic of thinking, Oh, if something, if there was a drug in the drink, um, sometimes when I'm listening to the person I'm on a date with talk, um, I'm starting to think, Oh, it's just trying to talk and talk and talk until I, until it kicks in and I'm just going to disappear and right. and I'll have to tell myself, you're still here, you're still here, you're still here. And if I'm too panicked, I go to the bathroom and text a friend and do a little mindfulness exercise to bring my panic down. Because it's gotten to the point where the panic is worse than the date. Like, I'd rather almost like, I don't know what to do to get the panic away. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, like I said, it makes sense. And the uh, maybe you know this, but it makes me wish and maybe it does exist for a dating scenario dating online site that acknowledges this reality cuz i'm guessing a lot of uh, people are like you i mean i'm not guessing i know a lot of people are like you and wouldn't it be nice if there was some kind of protocol like on this dating website everyone understands the following five principles and everyone understands that on the first date or even the first until someone consents to go to phase two or whatever, uh, (laughs) all the dates do not involve any ingestion of anything. Right. All the dates happen in public or all the dates happen with uh, the survivor's best friend around the corner, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Oh, I've had that people around the corner. Yeah. And not to make it weird. It's just, it's okay. Cause I'm guessing there are a lot of people who aren't survivors who understand and are fine with whatever Mm -hmm. needs to be done. But because our society is so shaming of victims and so stigmatizing of survivors that you are driven into the closet and then the people who would potentially have the potential and most people would for caring and for allowing mm-hmm. for you because 99% of the time, the men you've gone on a date with, if they really knew what you were going through, they would say, Oh my goodness, do whatever you need to do to make mm-hmm. yourself feel safe here. Uh, you want to frisk me? You want to, you want to have your friends sitting right next? Like, fine. I'm just, I'm just looking to meet someone here. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what the deal is. And, but because it's so stigmatized and closetized, people mm-hmm. who could care aren't allowed to because they don't even know because it's just such an underground thing still to this day, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that would be good. You know, I also think I feel, I, because I've become, you know, have close friends that are male and I understand too, um, some of the stresses of how hard it is to hold that sometimes people are going to view you as a potential predator when you're super not. 
you know, um, I feel for the guys in the situation Yeah, because I'm like, well, you know, I think about it a lot and hesitate to say who this was, but there was a person in my life growing up that was trying to date and just didn't seem to understand an older man. And, and he would tell me, Oh, you know, I'm going to be going on a date with this woman and she really wants to meet uh, instead of have me pick her up. And I don't know why she wants to meet. That seems really annoying to me. I want to pick her up. Right. And she also wants to meet at this restaurant that I don't really um, think is fancy enough. I really want to show her the town. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to meet at the place, but then I'm going to pull my car up. I'm going to be like, get in. I'm going to take you somewhere better. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, please do not do that. (laughs) Like, She's trying to keep herself safe. And then he was really angry. Like, what? Like, why would somebody think I would do that? And I'm like, well, this isn't really about you. You know, this is about her and her choices and her consent and what she's told you she's comfortable with. And the best thing you can do if you really want to get to know her is abandon this idea that you're supposed to pick someone up or that you have to take her to the fanciest place in town. Just listen to her, listen to what she wants. She says she's comfortable meeting you instead of being picked up. She says this is the place she wants to go. Uh, just go and get to know her. Don't try to change the whole thing up because it's well, and probably under- scared. understand the traumas that people have been through. And I, and when people understand it, they get it. it but yeah. when you closetize it, people don't have the opportunity to understand. And But once people understand and they really hear what it's like to be uh, someone else in, from that experience, then they usually come around. And I think, honestly, it probably would wrap into, like, in the end, this is why the loneliness shows up, is I'm like, so do I want to gamble on this guy I swiped right on and go through all these intense feelings or yeah. do I just want to order Thai food and watch something on TV with my dogs? Right. <laughs> it's like safety, comfort, the known. Uh, that's probably part of the reason why, I mean, I would have potentially met more people and tried more often if I hadn't needed or chosen the comfort over the risk. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which I absolutely understand. I mean, it's a, it's a viable choice there. You and I have talked about this before, and I've talked about it in the podcast before that and we've talked about it with Bob before that if you are truly wanting to find that companion, given the fact that our society is situated such that companionship and really getting your attachment needs met pretty much needs to be done with a romantic companion. It's ridiculous that it has to. And certainly I don't want to propose that that's, that's the way everyone should orient themselves. I think mm-hmm. we have multiple attachments in our life and multiple relationships mm-hmm. and you should all strive for that. But I, I would imagine it would be really hard to feel fulfilled without a companion that you're living with, honestly, mm-hmm. even a companion mm-hmm. that you date very severely, but you don't live together. There's something about living with your partner that I think actually fulfills most of our needs. And, and so, uh, and Bob has talked about how he dated hundreds of women, you know, three to 500 women in Seattle to find Colleen uh, many years ago. And 
he did it in a pretty short amount of time. Now, I don't know if everyone needs to date 500 people on, online <laughs> to, to make that happen, but uh, I have often found and told people that it's a numbers game. It, to, to expect the f- that you're going to swipe right and meet up with the first five people and, and the fact that it didn't work out sh- and you're demoralized by that is not realistic to the landscape. And uh, I'm often encouraging, and you and I have had this conversation, of, well, again, given our stupid society, this is the path, and it is fraught with all sorts of problems, but I don't know any, I don't know any way around it. I'm curious, though, because I, I don't think I've ever gotten a, a number from you, though, Christy. <laughs> How many people have you, you know, met in person and given it a shot to find that companionship. Mm, yeah, I would say in the last couple of years, it goes in waves. There are times where I won't even attempt anything for like a whole year. Um, but I'd say around 100, over 100. Really? Um, in person? Mm-hmm, in person mm-hmm, meetings? Mm-hmm. Well, wow. I mean, that's definitely playing the numbers game for sure. So one of the things too that happened is a friend of mine, we talk about this a lot and she, for a long time, she was very like wanting to be like, you know, just hang in there and it'll happen when you're not looking. And I have faith that eventually you'll find the person and all of these things. And what I realized was some of my loneliness was compounded by the fact that I was lonely for people to understand the, how confusing it is, you know, and how it doesn't happen for everyone. I used to ride the bus in Seattle a lot. And sometimes I would just watch people and I would think, do they have anyone to talk to? Like, are they okay? What's their life like? You know, will they, is that a person who maybe will never find someone? And I had to talk to my friend uh, about all of her kind of positive, like, go, go, go support and just say, I think I kind of need you to just sit with me around the fact that it might not ever happen. And I'm not saying that I believe that. I'm not saying it's a fact. But the feeling, I need you to sit with me in the feeling of like, there are no promises in the world. It might not happen. Mm-hmm. And quit telling me that it will, mm-hmm. you know. And and it is tough when people talk about the numbers game thing. And I know that's not your intention, but sometimes it can feel uh, a bit victim blaming, like, oh, it'll happen when you're not looking. And, oh, you're just approaching it wrong. Oh, there's oh, this yeah. other thing you can do. And sometimes it's like, well, you know, maybe it's just a roll of the dice, you know? It, it, well, it is a roll of the dice. I believe that extremely. And yeah, I totally agree that the, when I say numbers game, I'm talking to people that go on two dates and say, mm. and, and, and are discouraged. That's what I'm saying. But mm-hmm. if you've gone on more than 20, it's particularly <laughs> if you've gone on a hundred, then you're definitely playing the numbers game, you know? Oh yeah. So uh, the other thing is, is yeah, absolutely. And I, and that's one thing that I've learned over the year, you know, people have been asking me about loneliness for a long time now on the podcast. And in the beginning, it was little tips here and there that I would provide. And then it, it would still, the questions would still come in. And I thought, I don't know if the tips really fit. And then I thought, well, maybe there's some kind of schema thing there or some kind of trauma thing there. And of course that could be a factor. And then there's societal things. And that's why I started doing the loneliness series was because I was so boggled by, mm-hmm. by people's loneliness. I was just mm-hmm. so confused, you know, cause when you actually look into individuals such as yourself, there isn't a logical reason. And 
uh, there are all these things that people will say, you know, it'll happen. Or like I said, it's a numbers game or uh, do meetups or have you tried reaching out to people or, and it's like, uh, yes, yes, yes. And a million times. Yes. I've done all the dumb tips and I'm still, mm-hmm. I'm still bored and sitting at home and feeling like no one wants to hang out with me or trying to make relationships deeper than the people seem to want them to be Mm. and feeling like, does anyone really care about other human beings? Am I the only, am I the last person on this planet who Mm -hmm. cares about deeper relationships? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I don't want to give the impression at all that somehow, particularly for you, Christy, that there's, there's some kind of answer because they're, because there might not be, and, and, and but I don't, I don't want to concede, you know, I don't want to just give right. up, right? No, me either. And, but I think what I'm trying, I would love to talk about is like, while we hold the truth that that's the kind of connection that we'd really like to have, can we also hold keeping our mind open to the ways in which those needs are getting met in other places in our life. Like I'm never going to give up on seeking that kind of connection that I'd like to have with someone, but what do I do in the meantime? And also how am I framing um, the idea of loneliness? Like what is loneliness? I wanted to talk about like, um, is loneliness, well, I looked it up online and it said it's unpleasant response to isolation or perceived isolation uh, when needs for connection aren't met. Um, and I think that there's other words that sometimes are in there. It comes, becomes pretty dense. I think loneliness might even be the wrong word that people are using sometimes. I mean, or it is the right word, but it's also layered with hopelessness, boredom, longing, feeling rejected, Um, a lack of continuity in life, feeling like there's an external locus of control where other people are going to give us the things that we need versus recognizing what's within my control. Is loneliness the fear of spending time with one's own shadow? It's like Carl Jung's concept of our shadow. And like, maybe loneliness is a place where you, you know, can learn about your private self. Like maybe, you know, I know there's loneliness is different than solitude, but I also think for me, sometimes I really like solitude. I've liked thinking. I've liked exploring. I've liked being creative. I like kind of the way I connect with myself when I'm in good solitude. And I think sometimes that's about balance. Like I've overdone the delightful solitude and it's kind of led me to this place of like a bit of loneliness. Um, I'd also say I grew up watching my aunt and uncle uh, have a kind of tough relationship, or at least what I perceived to be tough. And she didn't have a lot of opportunity to just leave him. And so as a child, I kind of learned, ooh, don't rely on somebody else. uh, Because if if you have to rely on them, then you're going to end up, you know, needing to get away from them, maybe. And you need to be able to just rely on yourself. There was a lot of that individual. And I was watching... um, what's that movie little women the other night and one of the characters in it, Joe, um, she didn't want to get married. She didn't want the burdens that came with being a wife, especially in that time period. And there was this idea that the demands of other people meant you didn't have your own freedom. 
And I think I felt that way about marriage when I was younger. Like I never was a kid that was like, gosh, it just can't wait until I wear a pretty dress and get married to somebody. I was like, I'm going to school and I'm going to travel and I don't want the burden of some pushy husband around because that's kind of all I saw growing up. I didn't see these good relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think these are some of the things that led to loneliness. You know, we've talked about this before. You've, you know, some of your friends have kids, some of your friends are maybe just not focused on that, or they're sort of frazzled. I get the impression that maybe some of your friends are kind of frazzled and overwhelmed emotionally and don't really have the sort of bandwidth to think about even their own uh, attachment Mm -hmm. needs. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that what it is? Yeah, honestly, they're just busy. They're very busy with their own lives. And I've I've learned to, I used to not ask for connection because I just figured they're so busy, I don't want to bother. So that was part of the problem. But now I ask more. But even then, it's often met with like busyness. Like my close friend that's married and has a child and another one on the way, we talk about it a lot. And she's like, you know, I love you so much. And I wish I could give you a lot more attention and time but I have to devote a certain amount of time to myself and to my family and my child. And she's like, I wish I could help fill that void more for you, but that's just not something I'm able to do, you know? So it's coming to the realistic idea that everybody's trying to survive in some way. And I think that's part of it. Like as many wonderful friends as I have, I really don't get to spend time with people very much, you know, it's uh, and maybe that's, a really strong feeling right now in regards yeah. to uh, the pandemic. The pandemic. How but... many of your how many of your friends do you think are lonely and would benefit by prioritizing relationships with you more and other people like you in their life? Hardly any of them, I think. Actually, I think they're quite filled up. Yeah, F- filled up attachment wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They yeah, have they well... have their attachment needs met. Yeah. Yep. I think that's part of the problem is a lot of the people I know have their attachment needs met and I'm kind of the extra, the extra, <laughs> a little superfluous. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's unfortunate to say you, you need them. No. And I wish, you know, and that's where it's like, okay, so how do I develop relationships where that's there? But also how do I deal with like the existential crisis that is just sometimes there's a hole in your heart. Sometimes there's just a hole in life and you can't expect to fill it up. Like sometimes there's just going to be suffering and loneliness. And also I really do think that on the other side of loneliness, I often say with anxiety, the other side of the anxiety coin is gratitude because you're worried about losing something you like or want. Loneliness, I think the other side of that coin is knowing what you want, knowing yourself. I don't know if I'm articulating this right, but like there's some connection to when I feel lonely, I stop and I say it and I look around the room and I try to connect to what's there. I try to connect to the world, try to connect something bigger than myself to feel connected to everything Um, because there's more happening than just, I don't know, it, Maybe I'm tricking myself. Maybe this is the way I've learned to survive. No, I'm trying to find a place a that's. I think it's. I'm a trying dialectic. to find a. Yeah, and I'm trying to find a place that's not maladaptive that doesn't create more loneliness. But it's right. like, how do I find a place where I fold in these other things? I mean, the silly example was on Christmas Day. I felt really alone, and I 
was walking my dogs and I saw these two crows and it was one crow was trying to get some treats out of a little Ziploc bag and he was kind of struggling with it. And I decided to stop um, and go over. He moved away and I opened the bag and dumped out the treats on the sidewalk for the crow. Then I backed away and watched him come to eat it. And it was this really nice moment where it's like, it wasn't just connection with a human that happened there. Like the first Christmas present I opened this Christmas morning was for a crow. And it was really sweet because he came over and was really excited about eating his little food. And I don't know, to me, that felt like connection. And I think that, you know, there's different ways to connect than just with other humans. Ultimately, that's what I want. But like, while we're in the process of finding that, what else can we tap into that makes us feel more connected? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad we had this talk, Christy. I feel like I understand it better. And I I think your points are really wonderful to value the self, listen to the self, don't fight it, don't beat the self up, acknowledge one's issues. No, it's not going to be there forever. Yeah. Don't pathologize yourself. Uh, Be, look, look for the other things. There's other things besides one's loneliness. There's other things besides companionship. There's other things besides uh, true love, if you will. And a lot of people, once they find their true love, are lonely two years later, even though they're married mm-hmm. to that person, you know, so. And uh, I worry sometimes if that's because people come at it with this idea that this true love person is going to fill up all those empty spaces where it's like, how do we not, how do we hold it all and add that true love in? Right. I wonder also about because you're so wise and smart and caring, I wonder if you're also bumping up against a lot of people who are are nice, but aren't really prioritizing the things that should be, pri- I'm not accusing your, your friends, uh, but no. maybe other people. Because I see a lot of people, you know, they're struggling with their chores, they're struggling with their bills, they're struggling with trying to get that promotion, they're struggling with social media, they're struggling with trying to come across like they're an awesome person Mm -hmm. instead of what do I really want today? (laughs) You know, with today, exactly. even though I'm going to work, even though I have a lot of chores to do, what do I want? You know, what is, Mm -hmm. what is really at my core here? And I imagine uh, this is just me uh, sort of envisioning my perfect world where those little interactions you're having at work, those little interactions you're having at the grocery store, those little interactions you're having on a podcast, you, you're real, you're authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we shouldn't accept loneliness as the permanent state, but we can say, oh, like if we're in a storm, we're not like, oh, I'm not in a storm. We're like, okay, I'm in a storm. The rain is coming down. I'm not just going to sit down in the puddle and be like, fuck it, I'm all wet. You know, We're going to be like, okay, how am I going to cope getting through this storm? I'm going to put on a jacket. I'm going to put on, you know, some rain boots or something, or I'm going to find my way to get inside. Um, but there's also in this time when you're in the storm, which is maybe the loneliness, where like what you were saying, Kirk, is like asking yourself, what do I really need? And I think sometimes even though loneliness is painful and temporary, it's not necessarily bad or good, but it is a place where maybe you're getting quiet enough to hear, what is it that I do really need? Like, I'm going to take this time and let this quietness come over me to help 
maybe fuel the change. Like this discomfort is going to push me in a different direction to where I'm going to change. Um, and we need to ask for help when we're in that, not only for, from ourselves, but from others. And I think the thing that's confusing is we're often asking for kind of invisible help because um, we're all lost in the same mystery that you keep talking about, Kirk, which is like, why does this keep happening? Why is why are we lonely? And yeah. sometimes it's the, the continuing to ask why, the continuing to look within and be quiet and connect with yourself in those moments that are hard to be alone and say, oh, what is it that I do really need? And then maybe we can find a way out and have a new life. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, Christy. I commend your bravery and your wisdom around this. Um, you know, in a similar way that Bob struggles with his attachment, uh, insecurities, and as a therapist, leads the way by example, by not stigmatizing the self and by showing that it's normal, it's okay, it's common, and I'm not going to closet myself. Um, you've always been this way too, Christy, and uh, I, th- I find that to be extremely admirable, and as, as I'm sure the listeners do as well. If people wanted to reach out to you directly, uh, how can they re- reach out to you? Um, my website is forestertherapy.com. All right. Well, let's, this is just another installment on our <laughs> investigation of loneliness. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do. 